Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. We are here to talk Cubs as they enter the home stretch. It's like, um, you know, a home stretch can have so many, so many different meanings, so many different connotations, depending on not only the, even within the specific baseball context, it's like, all right, is it the home stretch? Cause it's like, Oh baby, things are heating up. This is dicey, pretty excited. What's going to happen. Or is it the home stretch? Like, Oh, thank God. This is the home stretch. We're, we're, we're almost there to the conclusion of, uh, well, I won't. I, I will let the listener decide which of those is uh, it for the Cubs. But uh, Patrick and I are going to talk about a little uh, reframing of the final month of the season because uh, we are just about that one month mark left, and it is not without meaning uh, for the Cubs. So we want to get into some of the things that we're interested in following the rest of the way, and also just to note, uh, maybe I'll start here. The so the Cubs got swept by the Cardinals. You you may recall I said the last <laughs> last podcast that if that happened, I would uh, you know beg off any knowledge of anything I may have said previously about the relative closeness of the Cubs and Cardinals. I, I just don't recall. Might have said some stuff. I don't know. It's it's gone. You know this is very everything we say on here is very transient. Uh, although I think maybe I. I may have written it as well. Wasn't a there a tweet to... too, like the Cubs are good now, deal with it or something like that? Does that ring th- any bells? So that, now that of course is a limitation of Twitter. I think, so <laughs> I, they didn't even win that game. I think I tweeted that just as a joke. They had like, I think it was the three run first against okay. Adam Wainwright. Yeah. And so, you know, that is the, that's the nature of Twitter where like you're, you're, or at least I am, I'm forever being cheeky and like almost everything I say, I'm sort of like, it's like it would be typed with a giant wink. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, the, the Cubs not only aren't quote good now, uh, they weren't even good then. Uh, it was, in fact, it was, it was, yeah. Drew Smiley immediately gave up a two run homer to Paul Goldschmidt. And, um, yeah, the Cardinals really just ran roughshod over the Cubs in that series. There's not much, I don't know what to, what to even share of note or consequence, uh, when when Drew Smiley even is having a really bad outing, then that was just a just a disaster of a series. Do you want? Is there anything at all before we switch forward? Is there anything at all you wanted to note or spotlight from that series? Because I got nothing. Uh, I would only say that I mean we spend a lot of time justifiably on this podcast or over the years of talking about the Cubs chasing down, you know, kind of sexier teams like the Dodgers or the Astros and. Um, you know, the Cardinals are just steady, and they never kind of wow you in the off season. But this will be their 16th playoff appearance since 2000, and the Cubs since 1945 have made the playoffs 11 times. And I just think, like you know, we saw what the Brewers did. They traded away their closer, who has not been good for the Padres, and they did bring in major league talent, but like. I don't know, the Cardinals that good because the Cubs are that bad? Or, like, how far do the Cubs have to go to just be relevant in just a really bad division? And I don't think it's that much. I don't think it's, like, a huge ask or a huge climb for the Cubs to, like, be respectable uh, respectable next season and be, like, decent on paper in spring training to where... 
you know, they can stay relevant for a couple months next season. Like the bar is not very high here at all. And uh, I think we didn't see enough this weekend. I think it was Cubs finished season series six and thirteen uh, against the Cardinals this they year. They did beat the they did beat the Brewers this year though. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it was like ten and seven uh, or uh, so, or I mean ten and nine. I mean, you can one, see so. clearly see the Brewers are gonna sort of recede or gonna have to thread the needle or or do something different here to extend that window and um you know i just think you know the cubs have to this offseason uh put together a credible product that can match up against the cardinals not only in london next year but into next september because the cardinals have just had uh kind of an easy walk here to a to division title and it's a team that as you mentioned brett is not like that scary on paper or like blows you away day after day after day it's just they're really steady they're consistent they have an organizational plan and they stick to it yeah you make the good point that for so many years we've talked about the cubs aspiring to be the next or 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 stand alongside the dodgers or the yankees or even the rays in terms of player development and all of these things but never once did we mention mention in those conversations that it's not like the Cubs can stack up with the Cardinals yet, at least not over a long enough horizon. And so it's pretty hard to pretty hard to put yourself in the class of the best in the league over a 20-year period if you're not even remotely in the conversation for best in your division uh, over that same period of time. Hopefully, uh, you know, when we're, we're potting in 10 years, as we will assuredly be, uh, we'll, we'll be able to say, boy, the Cubs really... They pulled it together in the 20s. You know, that was their decade. Uh, okay. Our holograms will <laughs> be looking then. at each other. That's right. We will be... What What are podcasts going to be like in 10 years? I think it will be. You know, people can, like, illuminate us on their dashboards as they drive. I don't know how safe that is, but it'll be like a little mini... little mini Mooney and a little mini Brett are, are standing there talking to each other. And, um, you know, I, I think the the visuals, incorporating visuals would be worthwhile, so... I'll uh, I'll send that up the chain at the athletic and see if we can get the budget for holograms. <laughs> okay, in the meantime, the Cubs will be playing this week back at Wrigley Field, hosting the Reds, a team that is more in their class right now. Uh, that <laughs> I I I don't. It's it's definitely not unfair to say the Cubs uh, and the Reds aren't aren't separated by that much. Uh, you know, I was joking before the pod with Mooney that. It actually is a pretty meaningful series, though not in the direction you'd hope for, because the Cubs and Reds are among those, you know, bottom tier of teams that they don't have a. They're not going to be in the bottom three or four teams uh, in the standings by the end of the year, because those the, the very bottom clubs have truly separated themselves at this point. Uh, but Cubs and Reds, Reds certainly could be, you know, jockeying for that four, five, six spot in the lottery, um, which is thrilling. And that is what this series will be about. You, you know, you, it's funny. If you want to be a positive Cubs fan, you can take a series like this and say, hey, it's win-win. You know, if the Cubs win the games, it's like cool, positive momentum, good for the offseason, whatever. If they lose, it's like, oh, hey, also good, great. Maybe they can pass the Reds in the reverse standings. Uh, so it's win-win. But you know what will really happen is they'll split the series, of course, and it's sort of the worst of both worlds. Um Okay, 
enough enough dour takes. Uh, I do want to note Wade Miley going to return for the start tonight, uh, which, you know, this might segue us into a bit of the conversation of what to look for over the final month. And it might seem like Wade Miley returning, pitching well, or whatever is, is completely meaningless to the Cubs. I think you could make that argument. Now that we're past the trade deadline, Cubs aren't going to make the playoffs. He's a free agent after the year. So what does it matter? Well, I think there's a little something to it. I mean, I think in a couple ways. One, you'd like him to come back healthy and eat up some of those innings that you wouldn't necessarily then have to allocate to maybe young arms that it's not ideal for their development plan. You know, maybe that's that's not who you want taking those innings. Um, I think it's also, as we've talked about a lot, just kind of reinforcing the idea that the Cubs maybe were a little better than their record this year. Still bad, but maybe a little better than their record. And if there had been health throughout the rotation, they could have been better. You know, I think that will have some off-season value, some. But I think mostly it's just trying to do right by a veteran like Wade Miley, who has meant a lot in the clubhouse and who, although he didn't sign with the Cubs, you know, they claimed him off of waivers from the Reds, paying that $10 million option. It is more akin to a free agent signing than your typical waiver claim. And I think it can mean a lot to reinforce what your organization is about to be like, no, we we kept working to get him back. We knew it was important to him to get back and show that he could still pitch before the offseason. And we helped get him there. This is something that we do as an organization. I think that has value. I just think it we hear it from other free agents. We hear it like uh, what you guys wrote uh, about Drew Smiley. We just... the Players value a lot of the things that the Cubs do well uh, as an organization, some of those soft factors. And I think getting Wade Miley back up, out, pitching well, looking good is going to matter. Even at the margins, maybe a small amount, but I think it's going to matter. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I also kind of wonder as well, do players and teams look at it like, well, how come the Cubs never signed Wilson Contreras to a long-term contractor? Why is Anthony Rizzo with the Yankees now? And really, Javi, KB, Schwarber, like all those guys, you couldn't have done something with any of them? So, you know, I think ultimately, you know this, Brett, like it comes down to years and dollars, and it does help that I think the Cubs are not viewed as like a total dumpster fire at this moment, and it's good that Drew Smiley likes pitching here and that the coaches... Uh, seem to have a progressive game plan uh, and outlook on things. But, you know, Wade Miley was pretty direct, you know, when a couple of us spoke to him in Milwaukee. Um, that would have been... Everything's kind of blending together here, but the prior weekend to St. Louis, uh, he was very frank. Uh, and I think that's why teammates kind of like him. He's like, you know, I need to show that I'm not a broken pitcher and I don't think I am, but it's going to be important for me to get out there. So if he says that, um, I think you honor that uh, because he is known as a good guy. And that's kind of what surprised me that he wasn't picked up at the trade deadline because, you know, he has you know fans in other clubhouses or maybe front offices. And just to have that guy in reserve to make like a start or two here um that to me would have had value if I was, you know, running a team, you know, in a in a wild card race uh, right now. But also to your point, Brett, of absorbing some of those innings. I mean, you see David Ross, and he doesn't know how it looks on TV. But there are times where it's just like, dude, like, what's 
what's the good option here? What's the good play here? And uh, increasingly, there's not that many, which is what happens when you trade your top four relievers uh, within a four-day span. But, you know, Wesneski is an interesting guy. I'm guessing uh, he could be used in a piggyback-type scenario. That's what he used in... That's how he was used in Iowa last time, right, Brett? Correct. I mean, he piggybacked you, with and uh, Espinosa. I mean, so you can see that, and it's not quite the uh, what did Theo call them? Cookies? Like, you know, Wisniewski was. <laughs> I mean, he was traded for Scott Efros, not exactly traded for you know who's an outstanding pitcher and a valuable could have been a very valuable player for the Cubs, but did not quite have that name uh, recognition. And Wisniewski is not. Uh, a top five prospect in the game the way that Javi was or, you know, a top 10 prospect the way Jorge Soler was. But, oh, the Cubs think this guy can be a legitimate starting pitcher in the majors. And that's like the standard that he's going to have to be held to for them to like win that deal because Scott Efforts is a really valuable player and will be for a really long time. Um, And this was not, you know, trading with um, some like Mickey Mouse organization and thinking you could like slip one by them. Like, no, this is the Yankees who in a lot of ways have were ahead of the Cubs uh, in terms of some of these pitching development initiatives and the Cubs are trying to catch up to that. So like if the Yankees didn't think this guy could help or as much as Efros, I I think it'd be really one of those kind of under the radar, clever trades that will be interesting to see like how it, plays out for both sides because like i see the logic i get why each side did it but i think there's probably there's definitely some some downside for both i mean efros is on the injured list right now right so i mean it'll be fascinating to see how it kind of unfolds here yeah in relation to that and this I think is appropriate to bring up with Wisniewski coming up and whatever role he debuts. I thought it was interesting. I believe it was an article from you guys. It may have been you and Sahadev together. It may have been just one of you, but it was maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, Some thoughts from Craig Breslow on some of the deals. And I thought it was, I loved that by the way, like it's worth going back to read because he's just, you know, he's a very smart guy, obviously thinking about pitching, but he also was very, I thought very candid in that piece in saying that, with Wesneski, it wasn't like the Cubs saw this extra development edge where they were like, oh, we if we get him in the door, we can do X and then he will blossom. Uh, it was more like, no, he's, he's likely going to be a capable big league starter and he might be developmentally maxed out, but that's kind of what we need. Um, and it didn't, you know, there was no gamesmanship there. It was just, it felt, uh, like I said, Frank, because he went on to discuss Ben Brown and that in that trade with the Phillies, which was a bit more of a, hey, we think we can do a little something to, to unlock a true starting pitcher here. And so to that point, I think it will be interesting to see how the Cubs uh, work to transition Wesneski to the big leagues over the course of probably this and next year. Um, yeah, you can envision a scenario where he's in the rotation day one next year, but that probably would be an ugly scenario because it probably involves uh, maybe not doing so well in free agency, couple injuries in spring training, which I mean this as a compliment to the depth that the organization has now. Not that I'm saying Wisniewski should be viewed as like a six, seven, eight starter. It's not that. It's just where they are right now. They might have a lot of starting pitching options next year. And so I think, you know, we saw it with Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele 
you know, when they first came up, they were used in multi-inning relief, get that taste of the big leagues, see what it's like both to be a member of a big league clubhouse, but also face big league batters. You know, how, how, okay, how, what's the scouting report look like when I'm trying to attack these guys who are a lot better than what I've faced uh, in the minor leagues? And then as you grow and develop and you continue to, to physically develop, then transition into that starting role, um, was that just kind of how it happened to play out with Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson? Or is that a reflection of something the Cubs want to try to um, uh, incorporate into their development process for starting pitchers? Because Wisniewski's kind of lines up almost perfectly to be deployed in that way. And so, uh, like you said, I could really see a piggyback. I could see it as soon as tonight. with Because Wade Miley, in his last outing, he went... 3.1 I think at South Bend through maybe 50 pitches so it's hard you know he's not going to make a full start and so maybe you use that as an opportunity then to sort of instead of pitching Wisniewski whenever it's convenient you're like no we've planned this out um, and like you pointed out too, him having piggybacked in his last outing which was dominant by the way I was there I was in the stands he looked great um, and uh, you know he so he's been prepared for that not not a normal warm-up routine and so i think i don't know i i'm i'm cautious to, to tell people like hey look for him tonight definitely to piggyback but i think it's possible that that might be the thinking and uh from there he becomes a guy to watch over the final month of the season i think it's not necessarily a lock that he would stay up with the big league team the whole time uh but he was a guy who was gonna have to be added to the 40 man anyway so it it sort of didn't matter whether it was now or whether it's in November. It's something we've talked about with Jeremiah Estrada, for example, who is for now staying up. Although, I don't know, if did you watch his, his appearance in St. Louis as as nerdily closely as I did? And um, that the fastball wasn't the same. It didn't, it didn't have that same um, explosive life that it did in Toronto that, that we sort of associate with him. So I, I don't know if it was just something a little off with the grip or or what and, and he struggled too in the outing so I guess that in turn will be something to watch the rest of the way but is also a reminder that even for the guys who come up and wow you initially they'll always have adjustments to make and there it'll always be a process um so yeah okay so I'll turn it over to you to comment on any of that that you want but also anything else uh that you're sort of looking to evaluate over the this last month well, I think like all of us, Brett, I'm looking forward to the Reds playing the Cubs nine times in this last month. The schedule of the makers really, <laughs> last... they planned that one out. They knew it was going to be two behemoths this year fighting down the stretch. <laughs> I mean, they started the year, what, three and 22, and then they're going to end the season with six straight games against the Cubs. It's just like Major League Baseball <laughs> kind of giving up its hands, being like, you know what, we're just going to check you guys out early um and no no joey Votto either i mean he's like the most fun part of that team but he's he's out for the season so no no Votto to enjoy yeah not um you know i think the for me personally i like that balanced schedule next year i think just you know i think it's a bit overkill even you know the red sox yankees that's like this you know major rivalry i just think sometimes uh less is more and the chance to like see different teams go to different cities i think like the variety uh 
is good for baseball and potentially expanding audience and creating different types of hooks. But this September, we don't have that. Uh, I was looking ahead to the schedule because they don't even really have like the whole like playing spoiler thing. I mean, they go to New York for three days and, you know, the Mets are you know, in uh, obviously very good shape. What I'm hoping for for you, Brett, to see if your head will explode is I need the Phillies to clinch a playoff spot at Wrigley Field so we get a photo of Schwarber, Castellanos, and Bryce Harper just like shotgunning tall boys and spraying champagne on each other at Wrigley Field. I, can I think so like much, Cubs Twitter oh, I can make would so handle much that really that, well, right? I mean, I think Cubs oh, Twitter yes. would handle that well. And, that, there, it, and, and certainly folks would uh you know <laughs> ignore the fact that Schwarber maybe hasn't quite hit like the Phillies were hoping Castellanos hasn't hit at all and has been injured and Bryce Harper has missed half the year with his injury that there will be no there'd be no allowance for that it'll just be like why couldn't this be us <laughs> uh but no and I but in, secretly in my head I will be thinking oh god I love all three of those guys <laughs> yeah. I, I I didn't do all the math it's still like you know a week ish out from the end of the season and you know the Phillies as my colleague Matt Gelb documents very well Phillies have been bad for a long time and they have some like you know previous Cubs era vibes like kind of creeping in of like the September you know like bad things are going to happen and their pitching's a little thin and as you mentioned their hitters had some injuries they were never constructed to be like a defense first team so i guess on the flip side there could be like a meltdown at wrigley field that we'd be able to watch too yeah that'd be enjoyable too well perversely i guess but did you see speaking of like meltdowns and their their thin pitching so obviously the cubs traded uh david robertson to the phillies at the deadline and he had been pitching very well in a bullpen that was very bad and then i think it was two days ago he was called upon to throw over 40 pitches in a game that wound up being a walk-off by the Giants because Wilmer Flores had a two-run homer off off of David Robertson on pitch 41 to uh, walk the Giants off. And I just thought, I mean, look, I'm not a Phillies fan, so I'm not deep in the weeds on it, but like I was trying to think of the circumstances that would justify going over 40 pitches for David Robertson. And I'm like, well, I guess it would be that your bullpen is scary bad. (laughs) And so perhaps that is the circumstance but yeah there are a lot of uh there are a lot of Cubs connections there for the Phillies both in terms of the players as we've discussed but also you mentioned that they do have that that feel that uh pre pre-current regime uh you know era of just oh no uh, things yeah uh, the oh yeah no things era. going bad kind of never quite getting past like 84 wins um yeah that's that's a good that's a good pull um I think you know Something that we haven't talked about much, but that I think is going to bear watching down the stretch for the Cubs is how, uh, because we talk about the pitching all the time in terms of like, oh, this is a very long season for Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, both now on the IL with back issues, which I think is probably unsurprising, just physically speaking, for guys who are way over their innings, uh, career innings high. But but we got to talk about some position players too, like this is a very long year for Nico Horner. He's never had uh, this many games played, and he's actually been in quite a slump at the plate uh, over the last month or so. 
it's been quiet because he does everything else so well uh, and he was so good before that that I, I think it's been kind of easy to overlook but um, he's he just hasn't been hitting the ball hard at all over the last month it's really been um, a tough month for him uh, similarly Christopher Morell very long intense year for him you know to to come more or less straight from double a and then it's like boom you're a big leaguer who's going to be uh asked to move around constantly to have the highs of a super hot debut and then to learn the grind uh, you know it's completely understandable that he would be and the league adjusts and so both with both guys it's i'm not I have no problem with them struggling for long stretches at the plate because it's really just part of the development process. But I think it'll be interesting to see how they carry themselves over this final month and under, you know how that can help them going forward, both in terms of adjustments at the plate, but also just getting used to, okay, man, it really is. The, long se- the, the big league season is long and intense, even when your team isn't that great. And so uh, I think it's going to be useful for them to, to have this final month. Yeah, I mean, David Ross talks about a lot in terms of like what can you bring to the table on a consistent basis, and I think both of those guys can disguise some of their offensive funks because they do so much and that they are fast and skilled defensively and versatile. Uh, you know, I do think we don't have to at minute whatever 25 or 26 get into the whole like great shortstop debate of this offseason but like Nico shouldn't be playing shortstop like 160 games a year obviously he can't get there because he bumped into an umpire in that freak uh collision earlier this year but like in terms of like Nico showed everyone something with his ability to stay healthy that umpire Sorry, I have to keep going, but I got to say, that umpire bumped into Nico. It wasn't Nico, but it, I, I got to stand up for my boy. That umpire needs to be looking at his surroundings. Okay. All right, sorry, D- please. Uh, du- duly noted. I would just say that, uh, <laughs> where am I going here? Um, in terms of wearing da- in terms of wearing down, like, you know, yeah. it, it was not really reasonable for him to play like 158 games really at any position next year. And that I think Morel as a super sub is a very good idea for next year. Like Morel as your starting center fielder or third baseman next year. I I think that's kind of a stretch, but that you're talking about Brett, two guys with like just great makeup. And that's kind of what Cubs officials have said for a long time. I mean, going back to when they first, join the organization through an international signing and through the draft of just like two guys who love the game and like love the process of, of getting better and who um, in different ways, you know, kind of channel their emotions and maybe show demonstrate their emotions, but that there's just a lot to work with there. They just need more around them such that, you know, like Nico can't be the like number one position player next year that the Cubs absolutely have to count on day after day after day. Like I think he'd be a great complimentary player, part of the sporting cast, maybe the leader, the man in the clubhouse, but like in terms of, you know, they need that middle of the order bat. They need, um, you know, some 
more guys to set the table, just more more of everything, really. And that, you know, hopefully they're not, you know, I go back to my colleague John Greenberg loves the three C's, like when it was Castro, Colvin, and Castro. Like we can't have, the Cubs can't have Nico and Morel as like the thrust for their off-season campaign. Like, like these guys are going to get better next year. Like they will, they should, but like they can't be counted upon to be like the linchpins. Like they just need more around them. Right. It's as, it's as if the a lot of what is valuable about them is also a bit of a limitation. You know, it's um, that if if they are your best players, at least offensively, your offense is probably going to struggle because I think realistically they have ceilings um, that are not necessarily middle of the order production, which is, you know, <laughs> nothing wrong with being a, a slightly above average bat in the big leagues. I mean, fewer than 50% are right. And these are guys that can play all over, which very few there, you know, being in a, a slightly above average big league bat that is capable of playing shortstop in addition to, you know, whatever other positions, how many guys in the big leagues are there like that? Really? There aren't that many. And so it's, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversations about in free agency and about, you know, what the additions the Cubs need to make. Uh, but I am, I'm already bracing myself to be careful in talking about these two guys in particular, because they're, again, it can be framed as a limitation that they aren't going to be these like everyday starters at a, at a particular spot where you've got it nailed down, but it's also a benefit. You're lucky as hell to have two guys like this on the roster who can cover over injuries if you need, or move around just daily to keep guys fresh who potentially can be above average bats while playing quality defense at multiple positions, including shortstop. It's just tremendously valuable. And the Cubs have two of them. And now they will have had the experience of playing a full big league season, going through what that's like, going through that grind in a relatively safe environment because it's not like they're losing the Cubs games right now that are critically important. You know, it's not a playoff push where they're costing the Cubs uh, a deep run. So I think that is, yeah, I think there's a whole lot about the two of them in particular that I'm, I'm really eager to evaluate this final month, regardless of how they perform almost. Um, so... Yeah. What else? What else you got? You want to you want to offer up a parting a parting thing to look for either in this series or or the rest of the way? And we'll have tons more to get into uh, on Thursday, though. I would say under that umbrella, uh, say a Suzuki as well. I mean, obviously a different type of player and different circumstances. But I think him, you know, heading into his offseason with a really good understanding of how this league works you know, from logistics to opposing pitching staffs to uh, what the Cubs are trying to accomplish. I think all of those things uh, are important for him to look up at the end of the year and feel uh, really good about that. And the Cubs can pencil him in next year as that middle of the order type of force, you know, maybe not the number two hitter we saw earlier this season when you know we were comparing him to uh you know like the greatest players of all time like you know this this guy has no adjustment period at all like you know and i definitely included myself in that that um he got off to such a fast start it was just like whoa like what do the cubs have here and you know i think both in terms of his track record in japan the investment level the cubs uh went to 
the number of teams who were interested in him uh, before he signed with the Cubs, like all of those are indicators that he should be a really good major league player for a long time. And that hopefully for him, this September, you know, creates some momentum uh, for the winter, for next season to where, uh, not that he won't ever have to adjust again, but like the training wheels will be off and he'll be absolutely counted on to, you know, hit 25 homers and, you know, put up an 850 OPS and be maybe a little more consistent, right? Of like, you know, uh, delivering, you know, value and impact at big moments instead of these kind of dips we've seen to where even though his numbers will look good at the end of the year, like I haven't felt like in a long time, like, oh, this is, like, you got to watch this guy hit. It seems like a lot of like figuring out a ticket, which is all to be expected. Like the Cubs signed up for this. This part of why Suzuki picked the Cubs to be not like in a Padres race for the playoffs, like, this was what everyone agreed to and signed up for. But I think just more like more there, there, I think is like a fair and reasonable expectation for next year and not in trying to be a criticism of this year, more just like, you know, he's got to, got to bring it next year. Well, and that makes this year all the more valuable. You know, if that, if it does play out like that, then it's a lot easier to look at this year and say, Oh, that, that was perfect. That was what that adjustment, you know, there are like the micro adjustment periods where it's like a two week stretch of, Oh, they're, you know, they're attacking me in this very specific way. But then there's also the macro adjustment of, ah, this is what major league baseball is like over the course of a season. Here's what I now know I need to do in the off season to uh, prepare myself even better for next year. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's spot on to say that the expectations for him should be quite high next year. Um, whether you think he demonstrated it or de- demonstrated that floor this year or not, it's more about that is the investment the Cubs made. You know, the, the expectation is that he would be uh, a very significant middle of the order bat, and the Cubs are going to need that next year if they're going to compete. And so, watching how he finishes out also very important. So that'll be among the things we watch uh, this month, this week. Uh, so yeah, Cubs Reds this week at Wrigley. Uh, Wade Miley and perhaps Hayden Wisniewski piggybacking uh, later today. That'll be fun. And we will be back at you on Thursday. This is uh, Ant Waveland. It's Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. Get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Patrick Mooney. Get his at The Athletic. We appreciate you as always, and we hope you all have a fine week. Take care.